recording here Roland Martin with Dr. Maulana Karenga, Dr. Karenga, K-A-R-E-N-G-A, I believe, Maulana, M-A-U-L-A-N-A, Dr. Maulana, uh, Maulana Karenga's Ph.D. in Chair of the Africana Studies Department, Cal State, Los Angeles. One of their many campuses, he may still be at the L.A. campus or he may be at a, at a sister campus, but he's a guest on Roland Martin's show, Roland Martin, unfiltered, on YouTube or download the Black Star Network app, a free app in your app store. The 2021 coming up on Roland Martin unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Democrats say President Joe Biden should pass his Build Back Better plan using executive orders or break it up into smaller bills. Is that going to be the difference maker to pass the U.S. Senate? Also, he was a small man with a huge voice in a big faith. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, South Africa, passed away yesterday at the age of 90. We'll look back, look back on his amazing life and legacy as one of the most powerful voices against the racist apartheid regime in South Africa. Also on today's show, it is the second day of Kwanzaa. We'll be joined by the creator of Kwanzaa right here to explain what it means all these years later. Also, a Georgia man gets a great gift. He's been exonerated, and a California Navy veteran calls the cops for help. But he gets arrested. Now he's suing. Also, uh, holidays are over. Well, not really. Still got New Year's coming up. Uh, have you ever tried cryotherapy, hot yoga? Our Fit Live Wednesday, and we'll break that whole thing down. All right, y'all. It's time to bring the funk on Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. Okay, there's a lot of a lot of guests. Let's see if we can find Dr. Karenga. This, this this show can go on for a few hours, and we just want to hear. Oh, well, I studied African cultures, and I asked myself, what is the social glue and cement that holds these cultures together? Okay, that's not the beginning of the interview. Let's go back a little bit. Appear to see a more rapid onset of action of disease. Whereas the people who are spreading are usually doing it within the first few days. All right, then, uh, Dr. Turner, we we'll appreciate you uh, breaking it down for us. Thanks a lot. Yes, sir. Glad you're doing better. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, get, getting update. there. Still got, still got a little cough. Uh, but, update uh, on but, uh, but Omicron. Let's I believe see. that people our age have lost. Maybe we can hear what they're saying about Omicron today after this news commercial break he has doctors from time to time different ones talking about the coronavirus updates and developments so we want to hear what they have to say today still none of them will guarantee anything they tell you basically get the shot 
They don't tell me what I need to know about the adverse events. They don't give me any of that information. Which I definitely have to consider. Because I've had it. Adverse, adverse effects from medicine, vaccines. And I've had to fight for my life too many right, folks, times. Um, here's this young man here. Uh, is missing with our Black and Missing segment that we feature every day. 14-year-old Isaac Martis left his Roseville, Minnesota home for school on December 14th. He never arrived and has not been heard from since. Uh, Isaac is 5 feet 2 inches tall, weighs 110 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes. He was last seen wearing uh, a puffy gray coat with a red hooded sweatshirt underneath, black sweatpants, a Minnesota Twins winter stocking cap, and a Minnesota Twins backpack. If you have any information on his whereabouts, please contact the Roseville, Minnesota Police Department at 651-767-0640, 651-767-0640. Uh, folks, the, um, um, the CDC, they've now revised uh, there are rules and regulations regarding folks uh, who are asymptomatic of COVID, moving it from 10 days to five days. Uh, we wanted to get an explanation of what this means. Joining us now, Dr. Justin Turner, CEO of Turner Care. Doc, glad to have you here. Uh, you're there, of course, out of, out of Mississippi. And so can you explain what this really means now going from 10 to five days? It is for people who are not showing symptoms or those who are showing symptoms? Well, first of all, thank you so much, Roland Martin, for having me on your show. Uh, yes, this news has come out, and it's something that has been looked at and kind of investigated going on a couple of weeks now amid the surge of Omicron. And a lot of the evidence is basically suggesting that the Omicron variant is not as severe compared to the Delta strain, and it also appears uh, to be less likely to cause hospital hospitalizations, less likely to cause deaths. So it looks like most people who are spreading COVID spread it within the first five days. So a lot of the guidelines are centered around if someone has COVID now, and we already see that the predominant strain, it, it appears to be Omicron. You know, we saw it, you know, overseas, and now we're seeing it in the United States. So very soon, Omicron is going to be the majority of the cases. So with that being said, if someone has COVID, the prior guidelines used to be isolating and quarantining for 10 full days. But now, if someone is asymptomatic, that quarantine time can be reduced uh, to, to five days. Um, but, 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 but they also are saying after those five days, still stay masked up uh, as you're interacting with people. Yeah, so reduced to five days, the first five days, because like I said, in that window, uh, that's the time where patients are more likely to possibly spread disease after that five days you can you know leave quarantine but you still need to be masked up for an additional five days and like i said during that time you're less likely uh, to spread it so that's part of the guideline is first reducing from what we previously knew was 10 days down to five days now we also know that with the winter surge we're going to likely see the increased cases increased hospitalizations and what follows hospitalizations? Deaths. We also see the hospital systems beginning to be overwhelmed. We're already seeing that again. So what does that lead to? It leads to staff shortages, nursing shortages, respiratory therapy shortages, and those shortages just basically overburden the healthcare system and make it very difficult for us to be able to treat 
patients. You know, you can look in the hospital and see rooms available, but if you don't have staff to take care of them, then what can you do? So being able to reduce the amount of days that nurses and, and healthcare personnel has to be out uh, can help, you know, with our ability to provide quality care, um, help with the economy. You know, there were several airlines that had to cancel a whole bunch of flights not too long ago. So this new information, you know, appears to be something that's going to definitely be helpful because the Omicron does not appear to be as deadly as the Delta strain. And we also appear to see a more rapid onset of action of disease, whereas the people who are spreading are usually doing it within the first few days. All right, then, uh, Dr. Turner, we appreciate you uh, breaking it down for us. Thanks a lot. Yes, sir. Glad you're doing better. All right, yeah, well, get, getting there. Still got, still got a little cough, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but we certainly are getting there. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, folks. Uh, Today is day two of Kwanzaa, of course, uh, began in 1966. It was founded by uh, our next guest, Dr. Melinda Karinga, uh, who joins us right now. Uh, Always glad uh, to chat with you, Doc. How you doing? Yes, and my last name is, my first name, Maulana. Maulana, my bad, my bad. Uh, Good, it's good to see you again, and thanks for the invitation. It's always good to see and listen to you. Thanks for the good work you do. I mean, not just the power, but speaking truth to the people. I think that's priority. Well, that's the only way we roll. That's how we do it every single day. And so uh, this is a seven-day celebration, uh, which begins the day after Christmas, December 26. Uh, I always get a kick out of folk uh, who whine and complain, who say, this is a made-up holiday. Um, All holidays are made up. Uh, so I, I always get a kick out of that one. I'm sure, I'm sure that one also uh, gets you to laughing and chuckling as well. Well, I, I don't spend any time on it because it takes time away from talking about what the holiday is. Since everybody knows anything that we do has been thought about and we do it. Some people do less thought. I did a lot. This is a result of intellectual uh, research of many cultures, many languages, and putting this together as an intellectual project. So it's not an invention. It is a creation, an intellectual creation. And people have to get used to that. A lot of times people don't see black people as creating, right? As the intellectual creation. And we just have to deal with that. But I don't like to spend a lot of time with that, uh, Roland. I'd like to talk about the philosophy behind Kwanzaa, which is Kawaita, about what it means, the theme for this uh, year, uh, which has to do with practicing uh, Kwanzaa and the seven principles ensuring the well-being of the world what a beautiful topic to talk about in this day when there's so much trouble COVID pandemic the attacks on democracy and our voting rights right uh war and conflict everywhere failing economies right massive immigration and uh, population displacement those are things that we have to deal with and we can't deal with frivolities right some things aren't even worth responding to. So I would just like to stop right here and see uh, if uh, we could go for what. And if you have well, that, well, that's why I said that's why that's why I laugh at them. Uh, <laughs> you talked you talk about the uh, the the amount of research uh, that was put into it. Uh, how long um, how long was this process uh, that you went through? When did it start before it eventually becomes Kwanzaa in 1966? Well, I started studying African cultures uh, in college, right? Especially in community college. Then I went to UCLA 
and I met a lot of continental Africans, but, and I, I did self um, uh, study of, of uh, Swahili. I chose Swahili because it was Pan-African. It's the most widely spread African language. I don't claim any ethnic group. I don't do no genealogy. I claim the whole of Africa as my heritage and all Africans as part of our extended family. So I did this research over a long period of time during college. And then when I got out of the university, I studied even more. And I did this in the early 60s. I left college, uh, I should say the university, in order to join the movement, right? And when I left uh, uh, the university, uh, I'm confronted with uh, Dr. Bethune's question. She said, knowledge is a prime need of the hour, but people want to know what will you do with your knowledge? And she said, it's up to us who know to discover the dawn and then share it with the masses of our people and our youth who need it most. And so I was trying to create an institution that would land, that would aid the struggle. So Kwanzaa became first an act of freedom. Then it became an instrument of freedom and finally a celebration of freedom. That the freedom in that we, as a matter of self-determination, developed it. And we didn't ask permission. We didn't seek approval from city government or state government or federal government. We declared it and then practiced it and took it around the world so that now it is celebrated by millions throughout the world African community. So it was an act of freedom. And it's an act of freedom breaking away from the culture dominance of the Europeans, right? And speaking our own special culture truth, making our own unique contribution to how we understand the world and to how we imagine a new future for ourselves in humanity. And it's an instrument of, um, of freedom because it raises consciousness. It was constructed so we would engage. One of the main reasons I created Kwanzaa is so we would have a time when more than any other time we would talk about being African in the world. And what does it mean? What is our responsibility being Africans, fathers and mothers of human civilization and humanity, sons and daughters of the Holocaust of enslavement, authors and heirs of the reaffirmation of our Africanness and our social justice tradition and tradition of struggle in the 60s. What does that mean? What responsibility does it uh, uh, impose on us? And again, this Kwanzaa create this context for talking about Africa, the moral idea of Africa, right? The social responsibility of being African in the world. And finally, of course, is a celebration of freedom, the celebration of us being free from, you know, restrictive um, uh, ideas that come from you, the catechism of impossibility. We broke through all that and began to speak our own special culture truth. How to settle on the seven principles? How did we do it? How to settle on the seven principles? Oh, well, I studied African cultures and I asked myself, what is the social glue and cement that holds these cultures together, which gives them the humanity, humanitarian uh, uh, character, right? And then gives them a vitality. Uh, and I, I, I settled on the idea that it was their communitarian values, right? And then I chose uh, seven because seven has a spiritual and ethical dimension in African culture, right? And it's also manageable in terms of learning, right? And so those were the things I saw, you know, Umoja, unity, Kujichagalia, self-determination, Ujima, collective work and responsibility, Ujamaa, Cooperative economics, neo purpose, Kumba creativity, and Imani faith. All of those seem to me to represent values we need to ground ourselves, orient ourselves, and use as they are being used 
uh, to direct our lives toward good and expansive end. And I'm just uh, very pleased with how black people have embraced this and how it is, as I said, become a world holiday celebrated on every continent and the world throughout the world African community. Are you surprised when you see members of Congress posting Kwanzaa messages? Now you're seeing major corporations doing commercials as well, uh, touting uh, Kwanzaa? Uh, not really, because I believe that if black people embrace and speak their own special culture too, and reaffirm their equality, reaffirm the fact that there's no people superior to us, no people more chosen, more, no people more holy, no people more sacred and worthy of life and a good life than us. If they stand up and do that, people respect that. And they respect the appreciation that people have for, that black people have for uh, Kwanzaa. And therefore, I would expect it. The other thing I think, Roland, is that there are two aspects to every great message, right? And you can see that in religious faith. There is a particular message that speaks to the people who create it and who first know it, right? But then it has a message also that is universal. So that Kwanzaa and the message, Kawita message, speaks both to African people and the best of what it means to be both African and human in the fullest sense. And people can identify with that human aspect of it. So who can be against the mojo or unity? That we should have unity in our family, in our community, in our nation, in our world African community. Who, who can who, who can deny that except haters, handmaidens, and hirelings of the dominant society? And who can deny the right and responsibility of self-determination to define ourselves, to name ourselves, to create for ourselves, and to speak for ourselves, and to raise images above the earth that reflect our capacity for human greatness? and to know it is good and to announce that it is good self-determination this is a fundamental human right it's the right of freedom and then who can deny uchima that we need to work to build a good communities societies and world we want and deserve to live in right this is so important the same with ujamaa cooperative economic shared work and shared wealth right we have to do that we have to work and we have to share the wealth the social wealth that we create should be more equitably distributed, not only in our community, but in the society and in the world. That's a major issue uh, with the world today. The increasing gap between the poor and the rich. It's obscene the kind of wealth that people have gotten at the suffering and oppression and occupation of other people's land and the seizure of their resources and the misuse and exploitation of labor. And we, we, we if you're a moral person, how could you? And one of the things I wanted to say, and, and, and I hope you'll let me do this, I want to just pay homage to Desmond, uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, y'all were talking about. And this is one of the main issues he was talking about in South Africa and the world, the gap between the rich and the poor. He was a spokesperson for the vulnerable. And we know that, and Kawita teaches this, and this is a fundamental conversation in Kwanzaa, that we measure the moral quality of any society by how it treats its most vulnerable people. And therefore, in our sacred text, it says, you know, give food to the hungry, water to the thirsty, clothes to the naked, and a boat to those without one. Be a father for the orphan, a mother for the timid, a caretaker for the sick, a shelter for the battered, a raft for the drowning, and a ladder for those trapped in the pit of despair. 
So we say that. And I like Dr. Uh, Archbishop Desmond too. I met him twice. One at a reception for that Mayor Tom Bradley, uh, who was mayor of Los Angeles. And then we brought him to Cal State Long Beach, my, my, my university, or where I teach and I'm professor and chair of the Department of African Studies there. And, and I, I enjoyed talking with him. And y'all are right. He was a man of joy and justice, right? And he reminds me of the, the Odu Ifa, sacred text of Yoruba land, ancient text. that says, let's do things with joy. For surely humans have been chosen, divinely chosen, to bring good into the world. And this is a fundamental mission and meaning of human life. And I think he embodied that. He did good with joy. And Odu said, if you're really a good person, you love doing good. You just don't do it. Because you can do good and you taint it by the attitude you have by it. But he enjoyed doing it. And he was a spokesperson for the oppressed in every land. The gentleman that spoke about how he stood up and was even whitelisted for it, for speaking on behalf of the Palestinians, how he supported LGBTQ rights, and how he took the case of the poor and the vulnerable and the suffering people around the world and spoke a truth for them. And so we have to honor him for that. May the good, may the joy he brought and the good he left last forever. And may all his family, friends, and loved ones be blessed with consolation, courage, and peace. For surely he has risen in radiance in the heavens and now sits in the sacred circle of the ancestors among the doers of good, the righteous, and the rightfully rewarded. Hotel, I share here as we say in Kawita philosophy. Let's go to my uh, panelists. Uh, first up, uh, Dr. Julian Malvo. Habaragani, uh, Moana. Dr. Julian Malvo, it's so good to see you. You know, Always I was on the way to L.A. and I got to see you on roller. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, we were supposed to get together. We'll do it in the new year, okay? We'll absolutely do it. But I want to just, uh, first of all, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for Kwanzaa. I want to thank you. I try to disabuse my melanin-deficient friends. This is not Black Christmas. This is something totally different. You know, when a white girl sent me a dope this morning and said, Happy Kwanzaa, I just sent her the website and said, Read this. Don't send me this nonsense. Uh, she meant well, but that's not the point. But, uh, <laughs> but what I want to uh, engage with you about, I just ask you about, in the context of Kwanzaa and the many places that it's celebrated, uh, is the timing of it. What made you choose to put it at the end of the year is not Black Christmas, but some people see it that way. And what I see it as, in some ways, is an alternative to the predatory capitalist consumerism that Christmas has become. Was that part of your motivation, or was there something else going on? There was a third reason. There were three main reasons. Number one, for authenticity. It's based on the Zulu uh, uh, first fruit harvest celebration called Nkosi, and it straddles the year, December and January. So it's a model. I'm always looking, it's seven days, and I'm always looking for authenticity. When I say it's African, you can believe I can demonstrate the culture grounding of it, I mean, through research and understanding, and through my own interpretive practices. The second reason I did it is because of the end of the year and the beginning of the year, it's a great time for reflection. Yes. And part of Kwanzaa 
It's reflection, remembrance, reflection, and recommitment, the three fundamental practices, right? We remember the ancestors, right? We remember our past. We learn the lessons of it. We absorb the spirit of possibility inherent in it. We extract and emulate the models and mirrors of human excellence and achievement in it. And we also practice the morality of remembrance, as Fannie Lou Hamer, our foremother, taught. The two things we should all care about, never to forget where we came from, and always praise the bridges that carried us over. So this time, when it's, it's a phrase in um, the Akan where they say, it's a time where the edges of the year meet. And there's a time for deep reflection on what we've done and what we ought to be about. And the third reason, uh, as you read in my earlier writings, was a severe criticism of the commercialism of Christmas, the commercialism of Hanukkah. And I need to get behind that, to get past that, and begin to ask ourselves, how do we celebrate goodness and sacredness without attaching money to it? Because uh -huh. there's, there's, there's a commodification of even worship now, right? And so our thing was to move away from the capitalist conception of the consumer as a fundamental unit in society. And we say the moral person, the thinking person, the deep thinking person is a fundamental unit of society. And so we want the human being to be the fundamental unit, not the consumer. And so that means that this is built around thinking about ourselves. I say this is our duty to know our past and honor it, to engage our present and improve it, and to imagine a whole new future and to forge it in the most ethical, effective and expansive ways. Reverend Jeff Carr. First of all, thank you, Dr. Karenga. It's an honor to be on with you and to have this conversation and just to be able to bounce some things off of you. Uh, I think we often don't meditate on just how fortunate we are when we have elders like you around who are still able to share. We often think about what would Dr. King do? What would Malcolm say? What would Ida B. Wells think about the media and how it's evolved? But we're blessed to have the actual founder of the holiday here. So with the digital space, we can be very, very clear. So I wanted to, to ask you, uh, in, in your wisdom and experience around building Kwanzaa and knowing where it started a year before I was born uh, to right now where it is, you've been able to observe this progress from an idea, a vision that you birthed into the world. That can be really difficult because you're still suffering through the critiques that everybody who has not birthed things into the world are hurling. But what I want to ask is this. Here in Nashville, Tennessee, I drive by the bridge and some people who celebrate Kwanzaa have convinced the mayor to light up the bridge in red, black, and green. They've been doing that the last three years. Uh, they've convinced uh, people to put displays of Kwanzaa on the public square. And yet, black people still get less than 2% of the city contracts. We still don't fill the power positions in the city. But there's an outward celebration that is becoming more mainstream. How do we, as people who support birthing new things in the world, how do we maintain the legacy to make sure that people absorb the principles, practice them all year, and use that as an inspirational space to prevent the commodification of a holiday? Thank you so much, Reverend. I appreciate that question. If I understand it correctly, it seems to me that in the final analysis, all of it starts with each of us. And what we need to do is, first of all, learn the beauty 
the integrity, expansive meaning of Kwanzaa and maintaining that in the way we approach it. We have to learn what it is. Sometimes black people think because they be black, they know black. They confuse sometimes. <laughs> they, they confuse ontology and epistemology, you know? Because, yes, sir. You know, and I understand it. We do know something about ourselves. But feeling pain don't make us a doctor and coming to our own conclusions don't make us a philosopher, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Study. I'm not discrediting our, our basic knowledge. We have a knowledge and we have to appreciate the masses as an infinite source of knowledge and ability. But at the same time, we have to specialize. And when we choose to honor something, we have to embrace it and we have to defend it. We have to build a wall around it, a cultural wall. You know, yeah. one of the things I, I've, I've said then, we, we are vulnerable to the dominant society's culture. Mm -hmm. It's a consumerist culture. It's a capitalist culture. It's a racist culture. And what we've become, and Du Bois wrote an article right after the uh, March on Washington, one I share, and I always talk about it. He said, I'm afraid that in our efforts to integrate and just be a part of American society, that in our haste, we'll forget that we have our own special gifts. And we'll begin to feel closer to Germans than to Africans. And what we have to do is make sure that we reaffirm the beauty, the sacredness, the ultimate meaning of ourselves. We have to celebrate ourselves. And Kwanzaa is about celebrating ourselves. But it means the more you know about yourself, the more you can celebrate yourself. Mm. The more, and the more you understand yourself, the better you can assert yourself. Self-understanding and self-assertion are dialectically and inseparably linked. The greater the understanding you have of yourself, the greater the ability to assert yourself in dignity-affirming, life-enhancing, and world-preserving ways. But the less understanding you have of yourself, the less you can assert yourself in those ways. So I want people that know to share their knowledge and to begin to teach. And one of the things I had to dismiss a lot of white interviews because they want to talk to me about basic data. That's what my assistants do. They talk data. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to philosophy. But they don't want to talk for life. They want to talk about what somebody said about the holiday, about me, about my mama. I, I just I don't deal with all that. I mean, hey, you know what I mean? I'm not going to deal with that. So I tell them, no, I'm not. If you want to talk to philosophy, you talk for it. So that's what we need, Reverend. More than anything else, we need to stop talking the pathology of the haters, the headmates, yes, and hirelings of the dominant society <laughs> and begin to say what we believe. What do we think? We know what they think. The question is, what do we think? And this last point, here's what I say to our people. We have to face it. When we say African-American, remember this. We are American by habit and African by choice. And we have to choose to be African every day. We get up in the morning, we don't even have to think to be American. We don't have to think to have a consumerist mind, to have a vulgarly individualistic mind. It's cultivated every day in the media. In whatever we in our educational process but we have to choose to do good in the world we have to choose to see ourselves not only as human beings but as world beings in the african sense in swahili you have two words for the human being watu which is people and then walimwengu which is world being watu is human being and walimwengu is human world being. so if you teach that those philosophies uh, which i say african philosophies 
You teach Kwanzaa what it means, how to practice, how to light the candle. Why do we choose black, red, and green? Black for the people. Why do we light the candle first? There's a whole philosophy in there. We light the black candle first because it shows and stresses the priority of the people. Why do we have it red? The red is for struggle. The green is for future. So we light the candle first to say, without the people, nothing. Second, without struggle, there's no future. So we light first the black candle, right? In honor of our people, right? And then we light the red candle to show our commitment to struggle, to bring good into the world. And then we light the green candle to show the promise and future that emerges from this memory club is our ceaseless striving and struggling. I'm a Congo. It is truly an honor uh, to be able to speak with you tonight and get all of this knowledge. I've been celebrating Kwanzaa since my for my entire life, and it, it's all I all I know in terms of this time of year. And you know, my I know my dad is looking down right now, just just proud of what you have done for all of us. Uh, the question I have is this: I was speaking to uh, a white woman about what Kwanzaa is and and breaking it down, and she started studying it and she said how could anybody be against the principles and the idea of what Kwanzaa is and really started considering also celebrating it. I was wondering if this is something that you have seen from people of other cultures. We talked about you know corporate and politicians you know putting out Kwanzaa greetings and the like but have you seen people of other cultures actually looking to embrace this in some way shape or form because the, even though the roots of it are african the ideals are so universal okay appreciate what you said if i said man thank you so much for that the reality is this kwanzaa is essentially a celebration of black people a lot of times people ask can other people celebrate it but they're not asking other people they don't mean do the native americans can they celebrate now the Latinos, now the Asians. You know they ask about white people, right? That's the standard, right? But the question has to be rephrased. The question is not, can white people celebrate Kwanzaa? The question is, can they celebrate black people? Because Kwanzaa is a celebration of black people. Can they celebrate the beauty and sacredness, the excellence and achievement, right? The awesome march we made through human history. Can they celebrate that, right? If they can celebrate that without trying to insinuate themselves and make them the subject of every sentence, right? It's just like mm -hmm. so, I saw somebody send me a thing today and tried to uh, link our Kwanzaa Kanata with the Jewish um, minority. And I told people, stop using that you. Whenever you use, that violates the integrity of both Hanukkah and Kwanzaa when you mix the symbol. We got enough mm -hmm. African symbols, but we don't need to imitate the Jewish menorah. But they're mm -hmm. doing it. And Microsoft always puts it out because it makes them feel they've made a contribution to something black. That's mm -hmm. one of the reasons they hate on us so much is that we don't owe them anything, right? Our culture is the oldest culture in the world. It is rich. I, I, I don't know how other people see it, but I see Africa as a moral idea. That's what my mm -hmm. intellectual work, that's what my PhD in, this, in, in, in both, uh, the first PhD and the second one, is dealing with understanding Africa. 
as a moral idea. And when I talk about, I don't talk about modern Africa. I'm talking about the best values. I mean the moral standard by which we understand what it is to be human and how do we rightfully relate to the rest of the world and see ourselves embedded in the world rather than in a hostile relationship with it. So those things, to me, I look to Africa from. Now, white people can always come to a, a public ceremony. Nobody's going to say, get out of here. I, I, at least I wouldn't. I mean, but sometimes <laughs> when they come, sometimes when they come, black people get up and want to give them a saying. Well, are you going to let them say anything? Why? I mean, when I go to a Jewish a celebration of Hanukkah, tell the rabbi, sit down, give me the yarmulke, and let me conduct this service. Or let me <laughs> Or when I go and I say, let me listen and learn what y'all are doing. Come on, Malana. Come on, Malana. Can people absorb the Jewish thing? Or or the the, uh, Cinco de Mayo? If I go to Cinco de Mayo to celebrate with the Mexicans, I don't try to take over that thing. I just want us to see this. (laughs) We don't need to feel guilty for having something that celebrates us. Yes, sir. The white man has. It's like I told the, uh, uh, the president at our school and the dean. Y'all got a whole curriculum. Of course, it's a self. It's it's not really a curriculum. It's a self-congratulatory narrative posing as a curriculum. But all your classes are all white people, except ethnic studies. Why would y'all begrudge us? This come is on, 1460. On. We, we we got past AB uh, 1460, which makes it uh, mandatory, legally mandatory, that everybody, 500,000 people every year from the CSU system, have to take an ethnic studies class, and Dr. Shiller Weber should be really praised for that. Mm-hmm. And of course, we were instrumented in the struggle, first beginning the struggle at Cal State Long Beach. So I think it's very important for us to always respect other people, but insist that they respect us, and that they don't need to be included in supervisorial or even leadership roles in our own just learn from us. Can you just listen to us? That's a nice point I wanted to make. I tell my colleagues, you know, whenever y'all talk Greek philosophy or anything, you know I'm going to bring up ancient Egyptian, African American, <laughs> African I'm not going to, I'm not going to come to, I don't come to the table culturally naked and in need. I come fully clothed in my own culture, right? And I'm going to speak our own special culture truth and make our own unique contribution to whatever subject is being discussed and engaged. So that's how I see it. There's a particular message, that's us. There's a universal message, they can embrace that. But they should not mix that with the particular meaning it has for us. Asante Sana, Buana. All right. Dr. Karinga, always glad to see you looking good, uh, looking clean. Uh, Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Asante to you. Take care. Can I just end with this? Yeah, go ahead. To all of us listening, head is our Kwanzaa, happy Kwanzaa. And remember this, as I said earlier, this is our duty to know our past and honor, to engage our present and improve it, and to imagine a whole new future, to forge it in the most ethical, effective, and expansive way. And this too, continue the struggle, keep the faith, hold the line, Love and respect our people and each other. Practice the Nguzo Saba, the seven principles. Seek and speak truth. Do and demand justice. Be constantly concerned 
with the well-being of the world and all in it and dare help rebuild the overarching movement that prefigures and makes possible the good world we all want and deserve to live in and lead as a legacy worthy of the name and history African. Happy Kwanzaa. Head is that Kwanzaa. And we're going to do all of that. <laughs> Doc, appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Take Thank care. You. Take care. <laughs> Folks, got to go to a break. Uh, we come back. Uh, got some news also. We'll talk about uh, Fit Live Win. We'll leave you, though, with the 2009 ceremony of uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu being awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Barack Obama. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Hello. Hey, hey. With unflagging devotion to justice, indomitable optimism, and an unmistakable sense of humor, Archbishop Emeritus Desmond Mpulo Tutu has stirred the world's conscience for decades. As a man of the cloth, he has drawn the respect and admiration of a diverse congregation. He helped lead South Africa through a turning point in modern history. And with an unshakable humility and firm commitment to our common humanity, he helped heal wounds and lay the foundation for a new nation. Desmond Tutu continues to give voice to the voiceless and bring hope to those who thirst for freedom. Payne pretended to be Roland Martin. Holla! You are watching Roland Martin, man. I'm on the show today, and it's... What? Huh? You should have some cue cards! Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. Eee! Folks, have a fit, live, win, and what is Bikram yoga? You know, we hear a lot about we hear a lot about uh, those things. We hear a lot about uh, uh, yoga, all that good stuff. So, what exactly is Bikram yoga? Well, we got an expert uh, who joins us right now, and 
uh, last name might sound familiar. She's the wife of one of our panelists. Uh, Kendra Dominga. She's the chief visionary officer of Bikram Yoga Wellness uh, from Maryland. Glad to have you on the show. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Okay, doing great. So there's yoga, there's Bikram yoga, there's hot yoga. What's all these different yogas? <laughs> Bikram yoga is the original hot yoga done in a heated room of 105 degrees and 40% hum humidity. It's a prescribed sequence of 26 postures and two breathing exercises done the same way every time you come into the room. So okay, hold on. That, that, that's, that's hot as hell. I mean, like, okay, <laughs> yeah, it's on. hot. 105. Okay, so what is the point of the room being that hot? So you can sweat, eliminate toxins through your skin, which is the largest organ of your body. Um, you also are able to loosen up more effectively with the heat as opposed to, um, you know, working out through a cold body. Okay. Uh, and uh, how long we got to be in this hot room? <laughs> the, the class is 90 minutes long. <laughs> it's 90 That's minutes long, but we have we also have 60-minute options for those of you who, who are too timid about doing a 90-minute class to begin with. In the room 105 degrees, we need a 15-minute option. <laughs> <laughs> we could accommodate that for you, Roland. All right. So uh, on my panel, Dr. Carl Julian. Uh, uh, Omakanga, I'm sure you've already done it. Any of y'all done a uh, Bikram yoga? That's, that's, that's a yes, lot of sir. Yes, sir. Really? All right, Jeff, what do you, what, 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 like, what's the big deal? I think Dr. Malvo's talking. Oh, uh, she on mute. Don't worry about it. Yeah, she's talking. There she is. Oh, she's she, talking. She on mute. Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> I'll, I'll defer to the sister because I love yoga. I can talk about it all day. Well, I got number, number one, yoga is still I like Pilates. Number two, Bikram yoga is too hot for me. I left it for seven minutes exactly, and I went and got a piece of water and kept on. See, I told you. <laughs> I, I, look, her being on mute, I knew what she was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, go it, ahead. It take some time to acclimate to the hot room, but I guarantee you, if you, if you keep trying, keep coming back, you're, you're going to find a lot of benefits with it. Um, a lot of people who are doing the yoga now find incredible stress relief. If you have arthritis in the joints, if you haven't really been active a lot, um, especially through this pandemic, uh, hot yoga might be your, your, your a solution for you to get back into, the, into being more active. I can think of other ways to relieve my stress. <laughs> there are many ways to relieve, of course. <laughs> Let me say something here to you, Sister Kendra. Just, just first and foremost, thank you for birthing the studio into the world. And to you and Dr. Omikonga, I know it's just the great work that you all are doing. It's just overwhelming and humbling. Uh, and I just want to say keep it up. Uh, in my journey with yoga, I've been practicing yoga about 14 years now. I've been a certified teacher in the vinyasa and the flow traditions of hatha uh, for about three years now. So it, it, I love, we love yoga so much at Infinity Fellowship that our entire fourth Sunday service, instead of regular service, it's all yoga because of the wow. benefit. Yeah, we got Yoga Sunday. It's the only Yoga Sunday at any church in the known universe, at least that unless somebody tells me otherwise. But um, one of the things that we think about when we think about heat, we think about it in a, in a negative way when... And in actuality, it's a positive way to burn off toxins. Um, I pour oh, the sweat I, I like lodge. Heat. I like heat. You I like heat? Golf, I play golf in the heat, but I damn yoga. I, look, I ain't got a problem with heat. Let's be clear. I'm from Houston. Heat is but fine. here we go, though. I'm still waiting for you to, to accept my 
my invitation from like five years ago. Okay, we we gotta well, like we, say, we gotta we get you. Like I said, Roland, we gotta get y'all on the map, no, man, because no, of no. Matt. What, what she need to do is see if you create a yoga for golfers class. See, see, <laughs> yoga is yoga. Yoga is yoga, and you have positions that will help your golf game explode. Yeah, okay. And Sister Kendra is going to tell us about this. I, I pour a sweat lodge in the Lakota tradition. And so it's really, really hot in the sweat lodge. So when I get a chance to do hot yoga, it's not as bad for me. But the, the principle is getting past the heat. But Dr. Kendra, would you tell us about the benefits once you are able to tune your mind out to your body in terms of strength, flexibility, weight loss, all of that wonderful stuff? What, what do you see from people? I mean, the first thing with the heat is actually, it's, it's really meant to be a distraction. Um, and the moment that you're able to ignore the distraction, the noise, the, the, mon the monkey mind, you're actually able to uh, focus on the, the act action that you're doing. Um, the more you can focus on what you're doing in the room, it has benefits outside of the room. So when you go outside, those distractions, your coworkers, you know, that person who's speeding past you on the road, um, mm -hmm. you know, these people, they won't get under your skin as much because you are able to center yourself. Um, so what we realize when people come into the room, they're like, oh, I got to drink water. I got to do this. I got to, you know, but these things are all distractions. And when you think about our daily life, everyone, everyone is distracted, right? Mm -hmm. And so we would all benefit actually from stilling the mind and being able to um, focus. Um, I think this is what we're finding with, like, even with the children, right? They're not focused. Um, they're, they're all over the place. And so how do you actually succeed in life if you can't focus on a task? How do you actually um, accomplish your goals if you can't focus. So I think beyond just the physical benefits, of course, people will lose weight. People come in and do a 30-day challenge. We have our 30-day challenge starting on January 1st. They'll come in and do a 30-day challenge, lose massive amounts of weight. Um, but beyond that, what, they, what they're doing is creating a routine around health, around a healthy behavior around activity, yes. which is um, something that we're seeing, especially through this pandemic, more and more people are sitting, um, more and more people have tight um, hamstrings because they're their, their glutes are underactive um, and that comes from just sitting for long periods of time and so the goal for us is to create a, a culture around movement around you know health seeking behavior uh, and we see that the more people start to tune into themselves that they actually are more conscious decision makers around other areas of their life excellent now omakongo we know you ain't got no choice but to go <laughs> actually, let me before he even responds he had a choice a, a yoga teacher told me if he doesn't do the yoga that i'll go this way and he'll go that way and then guess what he was in that yoga class the next week and he does it even more than me now he actually is in class more than i am every week that's crazy that's crazy that's real talk um, it's addictive. It's addictive once you get into it. It's not. It's not only that, but I love the fact that it dispels. You know, as a guy, a lot of guys feel like it's not for for men or even so yes, on sir. and so forth. And you know, I dispel that by just taking one or two classes. And also, we see that Joe Johnson just returned to the NBA at age forty, and he credits hot yoga for his success mm -hmm. to be able to still play at this high level. Uh, so the question I have for, 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 for you, Kendra, is can you talk about community? Because one of the things that you really orchestrated during the pandemic under your leadership is that you really extended the online platform. So people all around the world now are taking class of us. Can you speak to what that mm -hmm. has meant for them, especially in the pandemic where so many people have been isolated? 
Yeah, as, as a matter of fact, when we, um, right at the beginning of the pandemic, if you also re remember, was also the George Floyd protest. And so we actually launched this campaign, I Come to Breathe, and um, had all these ambassadors from all over the world join us and invite their people onto their platform as well to take class with us. Um, we are seeing that people are joining because they find a community there. And not only a community of just, you know, fitness-minded people, but a community of people who look like them. And so when we think of the online platform for fitness, you don't often see black and brown faces. And so what we have been trying to do also is amplify black and brown faces in this wellness space. Um, and so we are seeing more and more younger people <coughs> older people of all ages and ranges are coming into the classroom and joining us. And, and it's a beautiful thing. I think the people, when we ask people what they like the most about Bikram Yoga Works uh, and, and Drip Studios is that they that they find community there. They are coming in. We do like a waffle pop-up bar on, on Sundays and people come and they sit. And that's a beautiful thing, especially given this pandemic where we have had to be a little bit more separated. We've had to kind of rush people out the door to see that now people are actually able to sit. And even uh, before classes, people are talking to each other online um, and in the studio. And this is so the beautiful synergy that we are seeing happening. More and more people are actually focusing on their health. More and more people actually have the time now to focus on their health. Um, they're not rushing on through, you know, rush hour traffic to get here, there and everywhere. Um, as you noted, Roland, the, the class itself is 90 minutes. If you can take away an hour of commute time to, to do that, then it's more feasible. So people can now join us from home um, to do the class, whereas they would have to take 30 minutes to come, 30 minutes to get back home. So it's really created a, a whole new uh, world. Uh, this opened up a whole new world for us in terms of reaching people um, across the world, across the country uh, with fitness and wellness uh, offerings. And so um, we're excited about the future because this hybrid model um, allows us to reach more and more people, um, especially those who don't find that they have community where they go. And I, I remember when I first started my yoga journey, I was often the only black face in the room. When we took over the studio in Boston, we had a studio in Boston, Massachusetts. Every time, even as the owner, I was the only black person in the room. And I was often, you know, being looked at, you know, like I was the oddball, even yeah. even as the owner. And so it, it was, it, 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 to me, I think this is such an important thing for us to be able to contribute in this space because we are taking care of our health, but it's not often highlighted, it's not often um, seen. So we are, our goal is to make sure that we are seen. And we have Pilates too, Dr. Malvo. Hey, <laughs> all right, come maybe on. I'll, maybe I'll come by to do the Pilates, but you know, it seems to me like y'all are practicing going to hell. Hell will be a little bit easier after some hot yoga, I tell you that. But but seriously, Kendra, let me ask real quick before I know we gotta go to, to, to break, but uh this is a question that I would ask for anybody who might be in the stream who might want to try it at home and look, you guys are gonna see me. I'm gonna be in one of these classes soon remotely. How do I do hot yoga remotely? Like, how do I make sure that I can be in a space where I'm getting the benefit and I'm not just in an open room? Do you, what are your steps for suggestions if people are going to do a class with you? Turn yeah, your heat listen. up to 100. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, it's got to be 105. No, 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 no. In fact, for us, we saw that during the pandemic, everything turned on its head. 
So if you were thinking you had to do hot yoga in 105 degrees, you know, it, it, we saw people not doing it in 105. They were doing it in their regular old rooms. Some people did heat up their bathrooms and steam, you know use the steam from their showers. But mm. people also learned how to go do less. Um, so in the with the heat, you're actually able to go much further in the stretching, um, and, and in mm. in a safe way. But when your body is not heated up, you cannot do that. And so people had started to learn their limits. Um, but it was a what I saw the most that impressed me the most was that people were actually improving their practice um, mm. because they were more conscious of what they were doing in their movements. They were more, they were more reserved. They weren't like push, 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 push. They were like, okay, I'm going to slowly guide myself into these movements because I'm not in the same environment. So the goal is for people to move. And if you are able to do yoga and move, that that's it. And, and, and you can do the Bikram yoga series, even without the heat. Um, and that's, and that's the beauty beautiful thing about it. You can take this practice everywhere and anywhere you go. Awesome. Awesome. All right. We appreciate it. What's the website? Bikramyogaworks.com. All right. Well, uh, we, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, thanks a bunch. Uh, glad to have you here, uh, Kendra. Have a good one. Thank then, you. Yeah, take care. Uh, yeah, get, get that yoga for golf and I might drop by. We'll do a we'll do a broga class for you and your guys. All right, broga. Hey, hey, Copyright that. I love hey, it. It's all hey, it's all about it's all about golf. That's 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 the most important thing for me. Oh, I appreciate it. You. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Take care. Hey, folks, real quick, a Georgia man is free after spending 23 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. Devonia Inman walked out of the Augusta State Medical Prison to the open arms of family and friends. In 1998, he received a lifetime sentence uh, without the possibility of parole for the murder of Donna Brown, who was a manager at a Taco Bell. Well, years after his conviction, the Georgia Innocence Project found evidence linked to another man later pleaded guilty to two other murders. And so uh, I'm sure uh, his family is pleased that he is home. And also in California, a San Diego man called the police after he was attacked by a stranger last year. But instead of, of seeking the attacker, the cops arrested him. Now he is fighting back. Uh, Stephen Keith, a 32-year-old black U.S. Navy veteran who was on crutches at the time, described the police use of force in a claim he filed in San Diego on October 11th. He says responding officers tackle him, knocking out some of his teeth. He's seeking more than $25,000 in damages for his injuries, pain and suffering, legal costs and lost wages, and unspecified punitive damages. Uh, I say go after more than that $25,000. All right, folks, uh, that is it for us. Uh, we are out of time. I appreciate uh, all of you being here. freedom and democracy uh, and but the most important part of it is 
remembering that uh, you are just one part. Uh, you may be a part that inspires others, but you, 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 you know that it is because you are part of a team. Any instance of uh, people not being uh, given the opportunity of realizing their full potential is is one that uh, riles me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether you know you know the prophet Jeremiah uh, at one point has said to God, "I don't want to be a prophet," and God persuades him and he becomes a prophet. Um, and, and, and get quite annoyed with God because he has constantly got to be uh, condemning people he loves. And, and he says, but if I keep quiet, your, your word is like a fire in my breast. And one does have that same kind of thing where you, you really do wish you could keep quiet. Um, and and, and there, there is something that says, if you keep quiet, you know you're, you're being uh, untrue to yourself, untrue to your calling, and and that you will you will end up with a deep sense of uh, maybe even disgust at yourself, but certainly uh, dissatisfaction. The thing that I know about myself is that. Uh, I do like uh, I do like the limelight. I do love to be loved. I, I mean, nothing riles me more than to be unpopular. Now, in in a way, that can get get into the way of your doing things when it's not clear whether you are saying or doing something so that the spotlight turns on you or you are saying it really because you want to change the circumstance. Uh, in, 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 in the Bible, there's a, a piece where the uh, Apostle Paul says he's got a thorn in the flesh uh, and has asked God, please remove it. And several times, God has said no, uh, and God says, um, uh, "You, my strength, that is God's strength, is made perfect in your weakness." Uh, and and I think the weakness is that uh, thorn in the flesh that keeps reminding you, "Don't be too hoity-toity." <laughs>